four to five months are about hard decisions, decisions that require real honest assessment of our roster. We talk about the goal being to win the Super Bowl, and we certainly thought that was the case in 2019. We're going to do everything we can to improve uh, our situation in 2020. The Athletic presents Hogan Johns. Everything is on the table to evaluate throughout our offense. Intercepted right off the bat by Ogletree. Touchdown. Our defense. Holmes is going to go the other way. He's going to take it to the end zone. Touchdown, Chiefs. And our special teams. Snap, hold, kick is wide left. Eight and eight, no one's happy. The word that comes to my mind this season is regression. And why did we regress? From WGN Radio, it's Adam Ho. There's a fine line between winning and losing in the NFL. Points are points, and if they're giving them to you, you take them. And from The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. 8-8 eight eight just seems perfect for what they are this year. The offense taking the steps back. Your quarterback taking the steps back. Significant. Here they are, the Adams. It's not all just one person's fault. There's a number of factors in play here. We have to sort through. Hogan Johns. Let's begin now. What's up? Welcome in. Hogan Johns coming to you on another snowy January day in the Chicago area. Longing for the days of warmer weather. I shoveled already. Are you looking forward to getting down to Florida, my friend? Oh, I can't wait. I won't need to bring my shovel down there. I know that. It might rain a little down in Miami, but uh, this isn't going to be like Minnesota two years ago. Oh, that's a different Super Bowl to cover. So you're off to the Super Bowl. I've been following uh, our friend Larry Mayer, the Bears website reporter down in the Pro Bowl. And he did like this video where he just popped out of nowhere. Hey, what's up, Eddie? Eddie Jackson. And, of course, Eddie was stunned to see Larry Mayer, but they were cold. That was Larry's first and, like, only question in this video he did with Eddie Jackson. Like, why is it so cold in Florida? Eddie Jackson, who's from Florida, was surprised as well. So you make sure to pack more than your swimsuit, my friend. Well, you went to the Pro Bowl last year, wasn't it? I, I don't remember if it was cold, but you guys had a lot of rain, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did get kind of balmy. I don't know if balmy is even the right way to put it, but it did get pretty chilly by the end of the week we, we had one day where i was in shorts and got a little sun in my skin felt great and then it got rainy it got cloudy still better than what we had in chicago but not what you always want in, in florida you want something a little bit more hotter yeah well i'm looking forward to miami because i know I, I looked ahead i think it's gonna be at least in the mid 70s um and more importantly, should have plenty of great content uh, for this podcast next week. Um, that is the plan. So Johns won't be down there. I will be. So um, we're going to kind of piece together some things, whatever I can pull out of there. And uh, we'll still have uh, two good podcasts for you next week from, down from the Super Bowl. And uh, there should be a couple Bears players hanging around. And um, maybe we can catch up with them, get them here on the podcast. And we should also mention... And remind you, uh, if you didn't hear on our last episode, that on Super Bowl Sunday, Johns and I will be hosting a four-hour show from 1 to 5 p.m. Central Time on WGN Radio. So that's actually on WGN 720. You can listen live on WGNRadio.com as well in the WGN Radio app. We'll take you up to the start of uh, Super Bowl 54, which in what will essentially be a four-hour pregame show, and we'll obviously bring a Bears twist to everything as we usually do. Oh, there's so many Bears storylines to get through. Usually there's like a couple like city-related uh, Super Bowl questions. Like you get that. A lot of people go down to the Super Bowl and you have these teams or these reporters from various cities 
asking questions about their various teams in various cities. But this one for the Bears with the 49ers, Robbie Gold, Dave Toe, Patrick Mahomes, Jimmy Garoppolo. It's overflowing for you down there in Miami, Adam. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. There, there's plenty to uh, to address, but uh, that's all. Not, that's going to start on Monday uh, with the uh, the big media night, which is being held at Marlins Park. Um, Ooh, a little outdoors. Yeah. No, that's got a dome on it. It does. I can't even remember if it's retractable or not. Oh, is that the old Tropicana? No, Tropicana is the Rays, right? Yeah, that's right. No, this is the brand new Marlins Stadium they built a few years ago. That used oh. to have that giant light up fish thing in center field, and they, I think they finally got rid of that because it was hideous. Yeah, that's probably a good decision. Yeah, so um, that's where media night's going to be, and, and that's where all the festivities will start. But that's all next week. Uh, this week, what we decided to do here on this episode, we do it periodically, and it's fun to interact with our listeners. We're going to do a little bit of a QA today as uh, we solicited some questions on Twitter. Most of them are about football, most of them about the Bears, but uh, you know, I always like to address some non-football things too, so we'll get to some of that as well. Do you have a, any place where you want to start here, Johns? Um, sure, sure. Let me, let me dig in here. Uh, we have a lot of quarterback questions, so forgive me if I don't get to them all. I'm going to try to pair some of these uh, together the, the best I can. Of course, everybody has uh, their Mitch obsession, good or bad, to get through. Everybody wants to know what's next. So, well, let's go with this. Okay. Um, this is from Chuck Canning. I like this one. If the Bears' brain trust approached the two Adams, that'll be you and me, my friend, and asked, what should we do to fix Mitch? How would you respond? Yeah. Uh, I'd be flattered at first. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's here's the first thing I would do. Um, I would start tweaking the playbook. Just tweaking. I want to emphasize that. Just bringing forth more of the things that Mitch is good at. Maybe putting more under center in there. And I'm not talking about revolutionizing Matt Nagy's system. Just get him under center a little bit more. Maybe put some more play action in there. Uh, things we talked about during the season, but instead of having to, uh, you know, install or you know pull all the stuff out in the middle of the season, have it ready to go in the spring. Have it practiced because it's not that stuff that they pulled out in some of those games, uh, like that uh, drive against the Chargers to start the third quarter where they just kept running the ball and they were in the I formation. That's not stuff we saw in Bourbonnet, like maybe here and there on a couple plays, but really that's not stuff they worked on before the season. So that's the first thing is I, I, I would bring all that stuff out now so that when you get back to Hallis Hall in the spring, you're working on those things early and it's a part of the offense, not just something you're adapt to. But along with that, I would upgrade the offensive line and make sure this running game works better next year. So None of that really had to do specifically with Mitch, but I think all of that would help him a ton. I would pour a lot of resources into the offensive line and especially tight end. I I got questions too about some of the skills guys as well. If you just look at some of the lack of explosive plays, but you can't spend money everywhere. So I would pour some resources into the, the offensive line. That's draft capital and free agency money. And I would do the same for a tight end. Look, we, we all know everything flows through that tight end position. More often than not, that tight end 
in this Andy Reid-like scheme as the first or second read. The Bears just didn't have that going with them once Trey Burton was injured. And, and you know what? I think they have questions about how good they were with it when Trey Burton was on the field. So you need to pour some resources into those positions. And then I think a lot of this is just Mitch versus himself. Does that make sense to Adam? I would tell Mitch to go to a beach, get away, don't watch the Super Bowl, get a, get a, get far away from football as you can. He got this hyper-critical, hyper-competitive person, and it's all within himself. He needs a break. He needs to get away. Go to Hawaii. Go go somewhere. Go to Rome. You know, Go to Greece. Go somewhere far away from football for a bit. I'm talking two, three weeks. Get refreshed mentally and then come back ready to go. I don't know if Mitch wants to do that, but he should. He needs to get away. I'm not just talking about going to the beach for for a weekend. Go away somewhere far away from football and come back refreshed. And after that, find the right private QB coaches to help you with your fundamentals. Get that in order and get ready to go with all the things Adam said uh, about the the new play. Not the new playbook, but the tweak, the refined playbook with the, the, the improved offensive line or hopefully improved offensive line, hopefully improved tight end position. But to me, you got to get that mind right. You got He needs a break. He needs to come back ready, uh, really, really ready for the 2020 season. And when it comes to specifically Mitch's game, I would do what Matt Nagy said in, his, in the press conference at the end of the season. He needs to become a master of zone coverages. I mean, he needs to really come back and feel more comfortable with all that stuff. Now, part of that's just time, and some of it's just instinct. Like, I hate this conversation always going back to Patrick Mahomes, but Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes because he just has an instinctual ability to read zone coverages and make the right reads. So I I think all that other stuff we talked about helps, and sometimes you're just either going to get it or not when it comes to coverages. And sometimes it's just experience and surviving along the way to the point where you feel more comfortable with all that. But that's got to be if there's like a specific thing in his game, uh, that's what I would point to. And I think Matt Nagy, when he said that after the season, was spot on. Uh, let's stick with the quarterback position. Uh, these are kind of related. We got one from Eric Doerwachter. Pretty sure I destroyed that guy's last name, but this is from Eric, and this is from Aaron in the Shy. Kind of similar questions here. Let me read them both to you. What is your biggest takeaway from the changes made to the Bears coaching staff? This looks like the most experienced, credible offensive staff in many years. That's from Eric. And part two of that, I would say, is do the do the coaching staff changes signal a change at QB or further commitment to Mitch, in your opinion? That's from Aaron in the Shy. Well, I don't think it necessarily signifies a further commitment to Mitch. I think it opens the door to other additions, um, potentially through free agency. But yeah, I don't think it. I don't. I don't think it necessarily. You know, says oh, we're doubling down or tripling down here on Mitch Trubisky based on the offensive hires. Um, but I, I, my biggest takeaway, I think, is. It is sort of that ex- that experience and the fact that um, you know the amount of play calling experience with the guys that Matt Nagy hired and brought in is is pretty significant. I think there's an emphasis on the running game here. That's a big part of this, um, and I, I think there's an emphasis on trying to fix Mitch Trubisky and Matt Nagy. Sort of admitting with these hires that he can't just do it all himself. 
Um, and again, I think it opens the door to maybe you know a big time free agent pickup uh, and sort of a backup slash uh, insurance policy similar to what the Titans had with Ryan Tannehill this year. So to go back to, to Eric's comment about this looking like the most experienced, credible offensive staff in many years, I'd be careful with that because I remember a, a lot of high praise about Mark, Mark Tressman's first staff and the guy that he was uh, surrounded by, guys like Jody Camillus, a special teams, your assistant head coach, Aaron Cromer, his, his experienced offensive line coach. And I, I know some of those other guys weren't as experienced, but at least those two guys were supposed to help. Uh, Mark Trespin a lot, and we saw things just kind of implode there. Now, I, I say that thinking this is going, going to be, and, and almost knowing this is going to be a more positive situation, people underrate how much transition there was and Matt Nagy having to teach his scheme, the Andy Reid philosophy, schematics, whatnot, to the rest of his coaching staff and having to spread that to the players then. I think that was more difficult of a transition than Nagy will ever let on. So now you bring in Juan Castillo, a guy who is very familiar with the scheme, having coached with Nagy and Andy Reid in Philadelphia. He knows their offense. Now you bring in John Filippo, who works with Doug Peterson, who's from the Andy Reid coaching tree. He's your quarterback's coach now. So now you have that connection to your offensive scheme. So all of that is going to help. And you have Dave Ragone being promoted. It looks like Dave Ragone caught on really quickly to what Matt Nagy wanted to do. So that could only be a positive. And, he, and again, you mentioned the, 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 the play-calling experience. Bill Lazor has it. John Filippo has it. That will only help Matt Nagy, I think, because he didn't have that really in Mark Helfrich, especially at the NFL level. He, he did not call plays. I'm talking about Mark Helfrich at the NFL level ever. Did not have that type of experience. Now Matt Nagy has two guys at his side who have had that experience at the NFL level with various degrees of success. You could criticize what they did, you know, before, but at least they have some experience with it. And then just in general, what it means for Mitch and the QB is out there. I think it's both. I think if they want to double down on Mitch Trubisky, they can with these guys. I think if they want to open some doors to some other Quarterbacks out there, they can. They have connections to Andy Dalton. They have connections to Nick Foles. They have firsthand experiences with those guys now, with 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 their coaches on staff. So I think it's it's everything. It's all of the above. You can work with Mitch more, and you have more more knowledge on guys who could potentially be available to improve uh, your QB room. I, I want to move on to some other positions, but it, quickly again on the on on. The quarterback thing, you know, I, I keep thinking about what's the best pickup with with quarterback, and I I keep coming back to Nick Foles, and it's not even a matter of me like being in love with Nick Foles. It, he's not. He I, I will always say he is a fringe starting quarterback. He is a starting quarterback though in the NFL, but he's still on the back half of of capable NFL starters in my opinion. But you cannot deny what this guy has done in his career. And you can do a lot worse than Nick Foles. And the connections here with both Bill Lazor um, and uh, John Filippo are, are noti- very noticeable. So if you're going to be serious about... Because we're still talking about the Super Bowl window, right? 
that, I mean, I guess at this point you can argue whether or not the Bears are really in it or not in terms of, you know, realistically winning the Super Bowl. But it always comes back to the quarterback position. And if you go all in here with Mitch as your starter with really no true backup option to take over if things go continue to go poorly, you are opening up yourselves. And, I, and I'm now talking about Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy to potentially losing your job down the road. Because that's how things start to go down. I'm not predicting that that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying when you are in these positions of power in the NFL, that's the that's how you have to look at these things because job security matters. And so that's where, to me, I just keep coming back to this conversation about what to do with the quarterback room. I find it hard to believe that they're just going to move forward with Mitch and just another regular backup. In, in the league. I, I, I keep struggling with that. I don't know about you, Johns. I just keep, unless they're really, really sold that Mitch is going to turn it around. I, I'm 100% with you. We, we, we've had a few questions on Twitter about this from Peyton McLowry. Let's see here from Pace Goat. I wonder if that's Ryan Pace for real. And, and B Team <laughs> about, what, and, about what the quarterback room will be talking about free agency and the draft the combination of those their questions differ a little bit so i am 100 percent with you adam that this this dynamic has to change it, it must change I, yes mitch trubisky has to come back i understand that and yes i understand the, the logic of giving him one more chance but that chance needs to come with a better contingency plan. Now, whether that's acquiring Nick Foles from the Jaguars, whether that's waiting for the Bengals to cut Andy Dalton and then signing him, whether that's bringing in like a Nate Sutfeld who played for John Filippo with the, the Eagles. I know it's not an exciting uh, acquisition, but it's, it's better than Chase Daniel because he's younger and maybe he has some upside to him. And I think you got to draft somebody. I, I don't know who or where. I'm kind of against drafting somebody in the second round because you have so many other needs because you're continuing this investment in, in Mitch Trubisky. And like we said earlier, you need to improve the offensive line. You need to find yourself a tight end. The draft could be a way to do that. I, I, but I, I do think drafting somebody for the first time other than Mitch Trubisky, like Ryan Pace has always said about taking multiple swings at quarterbacks. It just increases your, your your hit count on this, right? He needs to do this in free agency. He needs to go in there with the same type of plan he had a couple of years ago when he signed Mike Lennon and drafted Mr. Trubisky. Now, just flip it a bit. Maybe go sign Andy Dalton and go draft someone in the fourth or fifth round. Take multiple swings. Put the pressure on Mitch. Find an answer to this quarterback situation by taking those swings that you always talk about. Well, and to your point on that, it's not just Ryan Pace. It's it's really this organization. They don't draft a lot of quarterbacks. I mean, no. you can keep going back. Well, who's the quarterback before Mitch Trubisky? David Fails? Yeah, sixth round. And then before that, Dan LaFever? Am I missing yeah. anybody? Yeah. I mean, they've taken so Don't get me wrong. The Jake Cutler trade counts as a swing. K. McNown counts as a swing. Sure, but they've, I'm, they've, I'm really just talking about the draft because like, yes. the, the draft is where you should you know, even if it feels like you're almost throwing away a pick on a late round quarterback, like sometimes you at least end up with a, a good backup or, 
or or you know even in the fourth round like a Dak Prescott you know it's sometimes it works out and yeah. it's really no different than drafting in any other position those are all swings you know what I mean yeah, late, yeah, late, late yeah. in the draft it's a swing at any position and quarterbacks the most important so Absolutely. I'm not saying you should do it every year but more than the Bears have done over the last 15 years. That's a, that's a great point. How, how many times, uh, like even Ryan Pace has said it, said it himself, is, is sometimes it's late in the draft or taking a swing on a guy knowing he needs to develop. And sometimes you hit on those guys. Yeah. Right? Sometimes you get lucky and you hit on those guys. Let's face it, you know, the drafts are, are, are crapshoots. You don't know what these guys are going to become. The situations matter. So many different Things matter into making things work for these guys. Like like Eddie Jackson, did you know he was going to be all pro guy? You may have liked him. You may have saw second round talent, but he had to stay healthy. And this is what you get. So take a swing on the most important position. Who knows? You may just get lucky. Like Kirk Cousins, my guy Kirk Cousins was a mid round pick, right? Russell Wilson was in the first or second first or second rounds. Look what look what he became. Just take the extra swing, and who knows? Maybe you get a bit lucky. Exactly. Um, all right, let's move on to some other positions here. There's a, a question from Nolan uh, about Leonard Floyd. He uh, says he's an athletic subscriber. We, we appreciate that. Uh, what are the chances the Bears release Leonard Floyd and go after someone like Vic Beasley or Emmanuel Agba at a lower cost per year than Floyd? Um, quickly, I don't think there's any player on the Bears that is valued differently <laughs> to the extent uh, between what the Bears think of them and what fans think of them than, and then Leonard Floyd. Um, and the, now, there is a legitimate part of this question, and that is the money. I mean, Leonard Floyd is going to make a lot of money here on this fifth-year option that looks more like a guy that's expected to get you know double-digit sacks every year. But Leonard Floyd has sort of become a different player than what the Bears envisioned him to be when they drafted him, and that's a very good run stopper. Now, I get that that's not what you want, and he wasn't drafted to be a number two edge rusher on this team, but that's what he's become, and he is still a starting caliber player. So releasing him to me does not make you better by picking up a Vic Beasley um, or anybody else like that. I realize he's getting a little bit overpaid, and he also needs to get to the quarterback more than he has. But he's not a bad player. Yeah, I don't think three point. It's thirteen point two million, maybe that, and, and some change for the fifth year option. It's not outrageous money, but you still expect more from. Him. Like I know what you're saying, but like Sam Acho was a a good run stopper, and he was cheap as hell. <laughs> I just think there needs to be more bang for your buck, and that's sacks, that's pass rush production. And I am at this point, I agree with you. I think he is a very good starting caliber player. Maybe not very good, but he's he is a starter in this league. Leonard Floyd is a good player. I just think at thirteen point two million, while not outrageous, you expect very good, if not close to great. Maybe instead of like releasing Leonard Floyd, and I know Nolan had a few questions um, about, you know, he, he went to spot rack and, and he did all sorts of cuts and whatnot stuff uh, about the team builder. Um, like maybe extend Leonard Floyd a year, 
So you could take that cap it and make it lower. He gets the security of the extra year. can still sign another contract if things break out for him. Give him a chance to prove it. Uh, but you're right. The Bears still like what he does. Now, would they like to see more pass production? Absolutely. The Bears' pass, uh, pass uh, rushing numbers declined significantly this year. Uh, they just weren't as good at getting after quarterbacks as they were in 2018. But I don't know if Vic Beasley is a considerable up- upgrade. I don't know if Emmanuel Ogba is a considerable upgrade. I think they still like what they get from Leonard Floyd. Now it's a matter of making that number work a bit better for yourself. So, I mean, that's where I would leave the conversation with Leonard Floyd. Yeah, I mean, because you can project what the market would be if you released him and what his what he'd get out there on the open market um, and theoretically lower that cap number by extending him. I, I, I'd be fine with that, um, depending on what the numbers. It's kind of hard to predict what that would be, but it would probably be lower. It'd probably be lower. I, I still think... He's a good player, though, and just getting rid of him and signing a different player, I don't know that that really helps you all that much. No, no, no. Um, Well, why not do both? You may have some flexibility regardless. The the market can can fluctuate a bit, and sometimes it it returns in in favor of the teams. You know, a lot of these guys go on the open market thinking they're going to get big deals, then all of a sudden they're in the second or third tier of free agency, and they just got to find deals. You can find steals that way if you do this correctly and you project the right guy for your scheme. You put him in a good situation opposite a Khalil Mack. So maybe the Bears can find a, a second or third round tier steal on free agency. Sure, sure. Uh, how about an O-line question? Uh, this is from Greg on Twitter. Could the best O-line solution be to sign a free agent center and keep Daniels and White Hair at guard? You know, I saw this one. This is one of our early questions that showed up after I put the the request out there on on Twitter. I just feel bad for Cody White here. Like here we are talking about another position change. Going to you, you would go maybe to left guard or right guard. Can he do it? Sure, but the guy has his entire career is just full of positional change. Don't you think this guy, who is who is probably a Pro Bowl player, went to the Pro Bowl last year as a center? Don't you think this guy that you signed to a good, a good lucrative extension would like to be in, a, in, a, in the same spot for a year or two? Like, don't you think he would eventually just like to be a center or be a guard and not have to worry about this year after year after year? Yeah, and uh, I appreciate the question, but the center market's kind of dry this year. Uh, in free agency, I mean, there's not a lot of good options out there. Um, to me, spending a lot of money on a guy like Brandon Scherf at guard makes more sense. Keeping white hair at center um, and just letting James Daniels, even if you envision James Daniels being a center originally, just let him keep developing uh, at left guard. I thought he got better towards the end of the season at that spot. So just keep him there. Just keep him there. Keep Co- I mean, the Cody Whitehair figured out the snaps. I mean, there, every once in a while there was one that wasn't perfect. Um, but I, I would just keep him there. Yeah, he, he, look, he got better at it compared to what he was early on in this that center transition. I mean, you were talking about like two or three bad snaps of practice. Yeah, I can barely recall them being a serious issue last season. Uh, I know he, he changed the... There were a the, couple of close the, calls. Yeah, but there's close calls regardless. James Daniels wasn't perfect as well, but people forget there's a lot more that goes into playing the center position than you know being 
you know, a snapper. I, I know that's important, but you got to be able to call out defenses. You got to be able to help your quarterback. It's the comfort with the quarterback. I think Cody White here provides that. I understand that guards nowadays can can handle some of the calls on the offensive line, but you know, you still need your center, the man in the middle, to 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 be that relay for that. To me, yeah, I go sign a right guard. See what you could get out there in free agency. And I would keep Cody Whitehair at center and James Daniels at left guard. What else? Go ahead. I'm listening. All right. Uh, which of the inside linebackers do the Bears try and re-sign? Are there players under contract who may be candidates to trade and acquire more draft picks? Um, I got to say, the inside linebacker situation is fascinating and hard to predict right now. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you could get Danny Trevathan for a, a more team-friendly contract. Obviously, he's coming back from a gruesome, dislocated elbow. He's going to be above 30. Uh, a lot of teams are scared of that. Now he's very productive. He's, he's He gives you a different vibe and demeanor. I, I think that the Bears really missed on, on that defense when they lost him, especially when Akeem Hicks was out. They just lost some of that nasty, some of that saltiness without Danny Trevathan. And I think you need vocal leaders like that. But at the same time, I almost wonder if, if, if like Nick Wachowski is finding himself in the league. You know what I'm getting at? Like, is he emerging not only as a, as a quality starter, but maybe something a, a bit more? The guy just makes a lot of plays, just seems to have a good nose for the ball. Like, is his knowledge of what offenses are trying to do making up for what he lacks in coverage skills at this point? We know he's a good pass rusher. We know he's a good against the run. Is he kind of coming into his own? Like, what type of deal could you get him to to sign to keep him here if he's a young player coming to his own, knowing that other teams may see the same thing? And um, I thought his coverage numbers actually ended up turning out pretty good when it was all said and done. So, uh, and then let's not forget Kevin Pierre Lewis. You know, he really surprised me a little bit with how twitchy he was, and and he had an ability. He has a quickness to his game that kind of surprised me. So now that might be a guy, um, I mean, he's been around and he was on the market last year and the Bears picked him up on the cheap. So I don't know how dramatically he changed that picture. They may be able to bring him back. Um, My instinct tells me they'll end up with two of those three players back and losing one. Does that make sense? I I feel like Kwiatkowski is the most likely to be lost because of... There'll be money out there for him. Yeah. He's a starting caliber player. And again, I think you could get Danny Trevathan back on the cheaper, more team-friendly deal. But I think my concern is if you're the Bears, like, you know, Trevathan's got an injury history. I, I know he's been more durable as of late, but he just dislocated his elbow. That's not good for an inside linebacker. He, he's had other problems before. He's going to be on the wrong side of 30. Again, I don't want to discount what he is. He is a great player for that defense, especially with the intangibles. But is Nick Kukowski, I think this is a serious debate in Hales Hall, is Nick Kukowski kind of coming into his own? And how much is that worth, considering all the other concerns you have on your roster? Yeah, and he was a fourth-round pick. Um, he's a Ryan Pace pick. He's somebody they liked. So, you know, the, the, he's exactly the type of player that you hope develops and become something for you. That being said, last year, the Bears had one of those guys, Adrian Amos, 
who did exactly that as a fifth round pick, hit free agency, had earned, you know, his money, and the Bears had to make the tough decision to let him go. And that's where I, I think the we gotta figure out if Nick Kwiatkowski's sort of in that area. Or is he somebody that, oh, but now you have an opening and, you know, he's not going to cost you that much that Adrian Adrian Amos got a, you know, healthy, healthy contract from the Packers. By the way, I could see Nick Kwiatkowski being on the Packers week one, too. (laughs) It just seems to fit. And they they do need some upgrades inside there. Talking about a team that may need some help defending the run. Yes. You know, after the NFC Championship game, I think Nick Kwiatkowski would, would help do that. But that's the point. There'll be competition for that guy if he hits the open market. I don't think we're overrating what his market will be either. It only takes two or three teams that desperately need help inside, and Nick Kukowski can fill that for a lot of teams. As to our potential trade candidates, um, you know, I've identified one in the past year. I still believe that, and that is Kyle Fuller, who's playing in the Pro Bowl this week. I think that um, you know the, the hardest thing no matter what sport it is for fans to accept when they talk about trading away assets is acknowledging that if you want to get something good in return, you have to give up something good. That's how trades work. And Kyle Fuller is a very good cornerback, but he's also not a perfect cornerback and he doesn't make a ton of plays on the ball. That is just one of his weaknesses. And would you be taking a step back at that cornerback spot? If you were to trade Kyle Fuller, absolutely. But I also don't put Kyle Fuller in like that elite shutdown Stephon Gilmore category where you can't afford to lose him. And if he can net you something big in return offensively, and I've talked about the Zach Ertz idea before, um, that to me can be a bigger benefit to your team and your chances of winning games overall than the obvious hole it would create at a position that you already need to address. Which brings us to another question I see here um, from Steve. What positions on defense do you see as the primary needs, and who would you target in free agency to fill those needs? Well, cornerback. That's yeah. why I don't get... Like, Prince Mukamara could be released, and I think the Bears would save $9 million. Yeah, that's like a no-brainer. Yes, and... Mukamara had a good year last year. I think he's kind of like, oh, he's just a guy. I think he's more than just a guy. He's a guy you like having in your locker room. He's a good veteran presence for some of these young guys. And I'm not convinced that Kevin Tolliver or Duke Shelley or any of these guys are the answer. Maybe you can find a veteran uh, that's cheaper, maybe. But Prince Mukamara fit this defense enough to get a good three-year extension. He's not a bad player. He's not a great player, but he's still a pretty productive player. That said, the money tends to matter. So you're going to, if you need those resources, Umukamara is a prime candidate to be released because that's what, $8, 9000000 million you could use elsewhere. That's why I don't know. I think it's an either-or thing with, with the Bears at cornerback. Uh, and I think it's very tilted towards releasing uh, Umukamara instead of as opposed to trading Kyle Fuller. I still think Kyle Fuller's younger. I think maybe that contract has some entrances out there. I don't know. That's a concern. You still need to find another safety uh, to go. I don't know if Ha'a Clinton Dix is the answer next to Eddie Jackson. Eddie Jackson just got a big deal, and you need the production to match that deal. Making sure he plays free safety more will help. I'm going to trust Chuck Pagano in that. He didn't make 
he did help make Ed Reed into the Hall of Famer that he is. So maybe they have an answer there. But, yeah, there, there's various concerns in that defense. I think, uh, to me, if I had to rank him, though, it'd be pass rush help, cornerback, and then safety. Yeah, I might just put corner first because I think they're going to have to make a tough decision there and, and find a, at least one legitimate starting cornerback. Uh, but to your point earlier, I mean, how you can find guys on bargains in that second, third wave of free agency, the Bears did that last year. Now, Buster Screen was that first wave, right? But I, they still got him cheap. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't like a grade A free agent signing. They just got the deal done fast, if I remember right, last year. Yeah, and, and he was a good signing. Yeah, and he's somebody that, you know, had some flaws within that Jets defense. I mean, I remember we talked to people from New York right after the Bears signed him, and like most of it was like, yeah, yeah, good riddance, right? But you take them and you plug them into a better defense, and all of a sudden, I thought Buster Screen was great for the Bears this year. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, a lot of people freaked out about the loss of Bryce Callahan. I think Bryce Callahan did even play a snap this year for Denver. Yeah, he was hurt all year. That foot thing, it, that foot thing lingered. Yeah, that's not going to go away either. That is not going to go away. That's my understanding. So, yeah, good signing. We'll see what they can find. I think there's always a couple surprise cuts that happen as well. And, again, the market tends to uh, come back in favor of teams at some point. I wonder if the some of the CBA concerns out there also affect negotiations because I don't think there's going to be a new deal in place before free agency hits. So maybe some Maybe some players are willing to take a one- or two-year deal with the hopes of getting a new deal within the next CBA, which could be more player-friendly. I have my doubts about that, but it could be more player-friendly. So there's a lot of moving pieces to consider here looking at improving the Bears roster through free agent spending. All right, let's throw in some fun questions here. Are you going to pay any attention to the XFL when it kicks off? No. No. You? Why not? Come on. No. Come on. I may watch like a game if it happens to be on, but I guarantee you. And I can barely keep up with college football. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's an We all know that. Yeah, that's an understatement. Um, I, I, my guess is I will do exactly what I did last year with the AAF. And that first weekend it was on, and I was like kind of having football withdrawal already with the Super Bowl over. I turned it on. I watched some of it. I was entertained by some of the tweaks to the rules and the sky judge. And I was like, wow, this would be great if the NFL did it. And then like another week went by and I never watched another game. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of still remember where I was when the XFL first debuted. I was in Eastern Illinois uh, as a high school senior visiting. I may or may not have been inside a bar eating a cheeseburger and drinking a beer at that point. But it was, well, it was, he hate me. Remember the the XFL was the ones who had the guys race. You yep. get the yeah, yeah which yeah. was in, insane. Uh, I remember that. If you yeah, get a, if you get a chance, watch the uh, thirty for thirty on the XFL. It's it's good. More interesting, more interesting than the actual XFL. Yes, definitely. Um, but it, you know, people forget that it was actually pretty popular right at the beginning, and there was a lot of interest. And then um, you know, it just sort of tailed off and they had problems and it just wasn't sustainable but the the uh as most 30 for 30s are but it's good and i would recommend watching it two other quick things i recommend that i watched in the past week um the aaron hernandez documentary on netflix is very very good um not perfect 
there were some things, and I don't want to give away spoilers, um, but there were some open-ended things that they just felt like they never really addressed that didn't make sense to me. Um, that and that'll if you go back and watch it or you go watch it, that'll what I just said will probably make a little bit more sense. I just don't want to spoil anything. Um, but it was very good, totally worth watching. And um, you know, there's even some curveballs in there that I I don't know if I just didn't pay attention to the trial or the whole saga. All, you know, as close as I thought I did, but there were some things in there I just flat out did not know, and my mind was kind of blown watching it. So it's good. It's a three part thing. Um, three one-hour episodes. You can get through it in a day or two, and I, I enjoyed it. Did you watch? There's a question here about Baby Yoda, yeah. And I'm curious, have you watched The Mandalorian? No. You don't like Baby Yoda? What is? Um, you don't I, like Star Wars? What is Mandalorian? I I know I know what it like. I've seen it. I have the Disney Plus thing. It pops up every. But I don't really know. Is it like a TV show or is it a movie? Yeah, it's a TV show. Well, it's yeah, like a Star Wars TV show. Star Wars TV show. It's not a cartoon. It's eight episodes. It's pretty good. Okay. And Baby Yoda. And Baby Yoda is not overrated. Okay. Well, I'm not informed to give an opinion on that, so I'm not going to say if these are overrated or underrated. What I will say is I created a list of movies that I wanted to get through this offseason. And on there are the Star Wars movies that I still haven't watched. Um, I've seen all the old ones, obviously, like the first six or whatever, but I still I never really got to those last three, and then I know they threw in those random ones in there too. So I, I have that. Rogue on- one is very good. Okay. I have those on the list. What I started watching first, though, and this gets to one of our questions here, the top five Marvel movies. So this is from The Boss. <laughs> Someone wants top to five MCU movies. Okay. I cannot give you a top five yet because I haven't watched them all, but I am well on my way to getting through these. Are you watching them in order? So I found a great... What is your definition of order? Starting with Iron Man. Okay. So I found a great story online that is... I think it's like the headline on it is the perfect way to watch the Marvel movies. See if I can find it here. Um, I'm not seeing it. Hang on, hang on. I gotta, I gotta watch the Marvel movies in order. Oh, it's actually on the AMC Theaters website, and this is like the it's, it's some Reddit user came up with this, and it is basically the best way that you could possibly watch it, and it's not in the order that the movies came out, but it's in the the best order for understanding how all the movies are connected. Oh, so like chronological order. Yeah, basically, it's not perfect chronological because you know how like, um, for instance, I watched Captain Marvel, which is one of the more recent ones. It was, I think it's third, it's actually second on the list, even though it came out in 2019. Because Yes, so you're going chronologically. So number one would be Captain America. Exactly. That's the first one I watched because it takes place, you know, in World War II. Um. But then they go to Captain Marvel because that takes place in the 90s. So the, it actually tells the story better how, and how they're all connected. Then I got to Iron Man, Iron Man 2. Um, I actually had to skip the Hulk, which I think I've actually seen before. But it's you know some of these movies aren't actually available right now, even on the Disney Plus app? Well, I think Hulk was part of... It's like one of those... 
Sony movies. Yeah, and all like, the Spider Mans are like that. So there is like a dispute. Like there hasn't been. I know way too much about this, but yeah. I, I think there was a dispute about the Hulk and, and the rights to him. So he he, he kind of lived in limbo. He couldn't be in a standalone movie by himself. Yeah, and plus, wasn't that uh, uh, didn't Edward Norton play him in that movie instead of Eric Bana? Was that the other one too? And then yeah. uh, there's been a few: Edward Norton, Eric Bana, and then there was. Um, you could tell I like the comic book movies. Grew up watching the TV shows yeah. and the uh, reading some comic books. Uh, it's not what's his name. Well, Mark Ruffalo plays him in the Avengers, and, right? And, right. In all the right. newer ones, um, and he's good. Anyway, uh, we don't have to go through them all, but I have actually. I am. I. Uh, I am pretty far along. I'm about. I'm honestly. Oh, the last one I watched was Guardians of the Galaxy, which. I don't know. So I could see those movies are. I, I didn't really like Guardians of the Galaxy. Really, I like them. It's I like, like them. a little. So, sh- I, I, so part of the you you've accused me of not really liking comic book movies. That's not entirely true, um, because I am enjoying these movies right now as I watch them. I it's once things like get too far into outer space and get crazy that I just start to lose interest. <laughs> like I really like. Then how are you going to watch Star Wars? Well, Star Wars is a little different. That's know. in a galaxy far, far away. It is Adam. in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> but maybe that's why I'm not totally hooked to Star Wars like most people are. But like, I really love the Captain America movie because like, it's like it was more like a war movie to me, and yeah. so so that was awesome. Um, the, and so as soon as Guardians of the Galaxy got it, it got a little too outrageous for me. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it, but it was just not like the other ones. So. Um, I, I got into a little bit of a lull here. In fact, I was going to skip the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie and just go straight to Iron Man 3. So what I like most about these movies now is I get to watch them with my sons, and it's like being a kid all over again, and, and they're real into them. So let me give the boss uh, what he wants. Here are my five favorite MCU movies. Number one, I, I think it was hilarious. I think it was entertaining. Uh, you'll like it. Thor Ragnarok is good. Okay. It's it, it's where uh, Thor fights Hulk. Speaking of Hulk, that was number one. Number two was actually Captain America Winter Soldier. Just good storytelling. I don't know. It, it was entertaining as well. Good fight scenes. Uh, number three is Endgame. Endgame has to be in everybody's top five, in my opinion, because it kind of wraps everything together. Mm-hmm. You'll enjoy that one, Adam. Uh, number four is The Black Panther. I thought that was just... Uh, riveting. It, 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 there's a reason why when you watch it, there's a reason why that did so well at the box office. Why it was a billion dollar movie. It's the the visuals. It's the storytelling of it. It's it's quite deep. It's it's very good too. And number five, I, I'm kind of torn, um, but I'm gonna go with Spider Man Far From Home, which is the new one. That's the one that I watched before I got sick on our trip to London, Adam. Ah, Spider Man got you sick. Yeah, so I made sure to watch it again on the way home from London. <laughs> <laughs> and that time you didn't get sick? Did not get sick. Uh, Spider-Man growing up as a kid was always my favorite. Uh, him and Batman, different comic book genres I know, or different publications I know, but those are always my favorite. And Spider-Man Far From Home is the best uh, Spider-Man movie out there, I believe. A uh, quick note on Black Panther. Um, this kind of shows you how in the sand my head is on some of this Marvel stuff. I actually watched that pretty soon after it came out um, because it was getting so much hype and people were talking about it. And um, But didn't it get like some Oscar buzz too? 
Yeah, it did. Yeah, so I I was like, oh, I'm gonna. What, was it nominated for? I forget what it was nominated for something big. I ended up watching it because of that, um, and really really enjoyed it. And I didn't even realize like almost till the end that it was a Marvel movie. It's <laughs> like, good, yeah. Like, like, yeah. But it, so it's like it's it's sort of, but it is part of it. I get it, and now I certainly get it after watching some of the other ones. Um, but it that Black Panthers is a legitimately good movie. There's no question about yeah. it. And can, can I give a you know like don't get me wrong I like other fine theater movies but the criticism that there that, that's out there like these comic book movies by some of these old like Martin Scorsese love his stuff but I think they're kind of missing out on why these things are so successful it's, it's entertainment it's the visuals I think the storytelling is a little bit better than they, they ever want to let on the the way they since this is an MCU dialogue, uh, it's going on way too long between two Bears writers. I will say the writing of the entire MCU, way, the way all the movies are linked, I think it's exceptional. I think it's just well done. You know who really gets it is Dean Richards at WGN. He loves the Marvel movie. I mean, he's an outstanding film critic um, and ce- celebrity reporter, but um, I should say entertainment reporter. But he... he when he does his reviews of the Marvel movies, like he, he, when he, the way he explains it, like he gets why they're legitimate good movies. So, uh, just want to give Dean a shout out. And by the way, um, because yes, we probably went a little bit too, too long on this, uh, Marvel thing, but, um, it is the off season. And for every person that sends us in a question like that, that we appreciate and love to talk about, there are, uh, there's another person that gets really angry that we talk about the mighty ducks, or, you know, we talk about whatever. And um, all I'm going to say is it's the off season, and not everything's going to be about football on this podcast. Most things will continue to be about football and about the Bears. And the great thing about podcasts that I always like to bring back is there's a fast-forward button. and nobody is making you listen to it uh so if you want to skip over the movie talk instead of uh sending out like a a hateful review or a tweet at us um just take a deep breath and hit the fast forward button so maybe i should have said that at the beginning of our marvel conversation but just remember that going forward the rest of the off season we're gonna have fun on this podcast as we always do and this is gonna be part of the conversation yeah i think that separates us from the rest we have fun. We have other interests other than football. We both love football. We both take taking. We both take covering the Bears very seriously. But it's the week before the Pro Bowl. Bears got three guys in it. They're not in the Super Bowl. It's a long off season to get through. Uh, we will have plenty of time to get to more pressing matters. I think we're actually planning a series, Adam. Are we not of breaking down the positions here? Yeah, I think so. so. We got we got a lot of football conversation going. Here. Uh, how about this? Want to leave it with this? Uh, where did that question go? Hold on, hold on. We, we, we got a food Chicago question here. I think it's very obvious, but you had a mm. hot dog yesterday. I can't find it, but uh, it was something about putting mustard on a hot dog, Adam. What, yeah. what does the Lincoln Park Chicagoans say in you? Um, yeah, I'm pretty hardcore on this one, um, but I also live with two people in my own house that put ketchup on hot dogs. Um, frankly, when that happens, it puts me in a bad mood and I don't talk to those people. 
um, for, you know, I don't know, about 10 minutes. It's just 10, uh, just I, 10 I think minutes. you're just looking for excuses, but go ahead. And, and uh, <laughs> maybe, and of course, those two people are my wife and my five-year-old son. It, it, yeah, it, it cuts to the heart of me a little bit. But you know what? She's from Wisconsin, and uh, my son was accidentally born in Wisconsin. So, you know, I, I can't I can't really fault them. Uh, I am not going to be a snobby guy that tells you how to eat your food. You enjoy it how you want. But it is also a Chicago institution that ketchup does not go on a hot dog. Mustard right. is outstanding. And people who don't like mustard, again, I'm not criticizing you. It's an, it's an interesting uh, condiment. And y- you might not like how it uh, you know, hits your tongue. I don't know. But mustard's, out- <laughs> mustard's outstanding. I don't know how you hate mustard. I just think this is from this was from Mayor Pizza on Twitter, and uh, surprisingly, it was not a pizza question. I think it's an age thing. If you're a five year old kid, fine, go ahead yeah, and have yeah, ketchup yeah. and mustard. But you know what? As you get older, buddy, you have to realize that it's it's mustard and mustard only in terms of like the spray condiments that go on there. And and here's the most underrated part about a Chicago dog. I love celery salt. You cannot have yes. enough. Okay, maybe there's a limit on celery salt, but celery salt is a must for me on a Chicago-style hot dog. Absolutely have to have it. Yes. Yes. I love celery salt. We were at Portillo's yesterday. I went dog everything. Uh, that's another thing. Dog everything means no ketchup. It's just it's yeah. it's part of the Chicago language. Uh, and they got you know got the fries, and uh, it was outstanding. And, and JJ Watt is tweeting about being at Portillo's, so um, put him on the Bears. Yeah, he could work. <laughs> uh, his uh, his fiance now plays for the Chicago Red Stars. I'm assuming that's why uh, he was at Portillo's yesterday and tweeting from a, sh- a window that clearly looked over Chicago. Uh, Kaylee Kaylea Ohi. I was, I was practicing that before the podcast, too. Kalia and Ohio. Yeah, brutal. Just no, brutal. I got it. I just did it slow. Kalia Ohi is, uh, is J.J. Watt's fiance. She played for the Houston Dash and just recently got traded to the Chicago Red Stars. So, it's so facto. J.J. Watt put him on the Bears. <laughs> and there, everybody, is your big free agent acquisition. There you go. We solved it all by the end. Uh, we're not getting out of here, though, with the most important question that anybody submitted. Uh, this was from Lucas. How many World Series titles are the White Sox going to win this decade? He says uh, I, at I, least I, three. I think I missed that question. <laughs> yeah. At least three in his opinion. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Um, no comment. And here's the thing. You better win one with all the excitement you're brewing, White Sox here. You, you know, I know a few things about covering a team that lets down a fan base. Yeah, that's true. But you know what? I was spot on with the Cubs once they got Theo. Once they did, once they set it all up, I said it's eventually going to happen. And once they got Joe Madden, I said it's going to start. This is going to turn around sooner or later. Gonna win at least I I said it, they're gonna win at least one. After that, I don't know what's gonna happen. And obviously it hasn't gone that well since they won that one. And quite frankly, they got a little lucky that they won that thing after being three one down down three one in the series. But they did it, it happened. I feel the same way about the White Sox right now. I it's not I don't necessarily think it's gonna be this year. Um this feels more like twenty fifteen for the Cubs. Uh 
than 2016. But maybe by next year, they should be fully in there as legitimate World Series contenders. And uh, I think after everything that's coming out here, which we're learning about the Astros and the Red Sox, they'll do it the right way. And, hey, maybe all that will end up helping the White Sox. What a bad way to end the podcast, but okay. What a great way to end the podcast. Hater. Man, we got really Chicago-y at the end, talking about hot dogs and Cubs-White Sox rivalries. It's a good way to go. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm just like Cubs. Oh, my Cubs. What are the odds? I think the Bulls won. (laughs) The Bulls did win a game last night. I, uh... Boy, I turned that game on, actually, with four minutes left. It was kind of close. That place looked dead. Yeah. I mean, there was... Even even my wife, she's like, there's nobody there. That's got to be... The Bulls usually are still leading the league in attendance, and that seems incredibly notable. Yeah, I saw a picture of someone took one from, like, the 300 level. It looked like early, uh, I will say, early 2000s Hawks. That empty. Ooh, that's not good. That's not good. Uh, man. And they could have had Derrick Rose this year. They didn't. And he might be in the All-Star game playing at <laughs> the United Center. That'll be awesome. Make our friend Mark Carmen very happy. Hey, follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, H-O-G-E, at Adam Johns, J-A-H-N-S. Read everything right here on The Athletic, The Athletic app. You can find my stuff at WGNRadio.com slash Bears. I will be at the Super Bowl next week. We'll have two podcasts with plenty of stuff from Miami. And then we'll have that show on Super Bowl Sunday. Be there. The philosophy is, is a kill philosophy. Keep it likable and learnable. So that's an acronym for not... You you know what I'm talking about. Keep it likable and learnable.